Hey guys. Hey y'all. I'm Shelby. I'm Jenny. And we are Wives Tales. Yeah, we're a weekly podcast all about dark mysteries, twisted legends, spooky folklore, and creepy creatures. Follow us on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook, and you can find us anywhere podcasts are played pretty much. Yeah. Um, y'all keep it twisty. That's right. Bye. Please listen carefully. Salutations, toppers, and welcome to episode 45 of the Turn of Phrases podcast. We're getting rather close to not only episode number 50, but the one-year anniversary episode, and I have something planned that I think you'll really enjoy. I'm having a big three-part special event, spanning from episodes 50 to 52, and it won't be just me turning phrases. That's all I'm going to say about it for now. I want to leave a little suspense to bring you back next week. So, what are we talking about this week? Well, I figured that since I say so much stuff wrong anyway, I'd go ahead and do an episode on phrases that many people mess up. Tongue twisters. I told y'all a few weeks ago I'd be doing this, and I hope it ends up being worth the wait. I have a good feeling that I'll have plenty of material for the blooper section, let me rephrase, at the end of the episode. Also, don't forget to check out the bonus stuff available over on the Patreon page. There's no pressure, I don't want anyone to feel like I expect them to make a donation. I just wanted to remind you that the bonus stuff is out there, if you want it. If you want to help out the show without spending a cent, you can always spread the word or leave a review, and I'd be ever so grateful. Okay, that's enough of that. Let's do the twist and find out today's phrases, origins, history, and more. So, to begin, let's look at the history of tongue twisters themselves. Just in case you don't know, a tongue twister is a phrase that's difficult to say typically because it has several similar sounds in it. Some tongue twisters are unintentional, some are used for humor, others might be used to warm up before a performance. Some are long enough to be an entire story, while others are just a few words long. Some are difficult to say a single time, and others get tricky the more you say them. No matter what kind of twister it is, all of them are hard to say for many people. According to research done at MIT, the world's hardest tongue twister is pad kid poured curd pulled cod. And I actually got that right on the first try. (laughs) I don't know how. Anyway, it's considered so hard to say that if anyone can say it 10 times fast, they get a prize. I couldn't find out what the prize is, but the bragging rights alone would be pretty awesome. Now, the Guinness Book of Records maintains that another twister is harder to say. And bear with me, y'all, because this is going to be tricky. According to Guinness, this is the world's hardest twisty phrase to say. The sixth sick sheeks sixth sheeps sick. (laughs) That's a lot of sheeks, sheep, and sickness. Okay, so there are some really difficult to say sentences out there. But just struggling to speak in your own language isn't the only kind of tongue twister. 
I'd never heard of a shibboleth before, but apparently that's a phrase in a language that's difficult for someone to say if they aren't a native speaker of that language, but a native speaker would have no trouble saying it. You don't even actually have to speak to stumble over your words. If you're talking in sign language and mess up a word or phrase, it's called a finger fumbler. I couldn't find anything definitive about what was the first tongue twister, or even when they started to appear, but there are twisters in several ancient languages, such as Hebrew, Latin, and Greek, so it's likely that people have been getting tongue-tied for quite a long time. I'll be discussing tongue-tied as today's metaphor, so more on that later. For now, let's move on to the twisters I'll be discussing today, the first of which is about a baker named Betty Botter. The tongue twister about Betty Botter trying to bake is one that most people have probably heard. You may have even read it in a Mother Goose book. What you may not know, or at least I didn't, was that it was originally titled The Butter Betty Bought and was written by an American writer and poet named Carolyn Wells. It was then adopted into the works of Mother Goose's nursery rhymes in the mid-20th century. It didn't change much when Mother Goose took it over, but there were some slight differences. Here's how it originally read in Carolyn Wells's version, published in her work The Jingle Book in 1899. Betty Botta bought a bit of butter, but, she said, this butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it will make my batter bitter, but a bit o' better butter will make my batter better. Then she bought a bit o' butter, better than the bitter butter made her bitter batter better, so twas better Betty Botta bought a bit o' better butter. Now, here's the Mother Goose version. Betty Botter bought some butter, but, she said, this butter's bitter. If I put it in my batter, it will make my batter bitter. But a bit of better butter, that would make my batter better. So she bought a bit of butter, better than her bitter butter, and she put it in her batter, and the batter was not bitter. So twas better, Betty Botter bought a bit of better butter. Okay, that's enough butter, bitter or better, for quite a bit. There isn't really anything else to discuss about this one, since its first appearance in print was also its origin, but it's a popular one and I thought it would be a good place to start. Now, let's go pick some pickled peppers. Let's start with the tongue twister this time. You've probably heard it, but it goes like this. Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. A peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked. If Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers, where's the peck of pickled peppers Peter Piper picked? Now, I can't tell you where Peter put the pickled peppers, but I can tell you who Peter was and what a pickled pepper is. I've always seen pickled products that were made, so I've never quite understood how Peter was picking pre-pickled peppers. Now I know, and if you don't already, you're about to as well. It comes from what they used to call spices in old-timey times. They basically just called all spices peppers, and they were all quite expensive. The people making money off of spices wanted to keep making money, so they had a trick to control the market. These spicy salesmen would rub their seeds with limes before selling them. This kept the seeds from germinating and therefore kept the competition low. This process was called pickling, and so a pickled pepper is actually one that won't grow. So then how did Peter pick a peck of them? 
Oh, and by the way, what the heck is a peck? A peck is a quarter bushel, and a bushel is the dry goods equivalent of 32 quarts. So a peck is 8 quarts of dry goods, which would be 2 gallons of liquid. The weight of a peck will vary based on what kind of dry goods are in it. It's a rate of measurement that's about volume, not weight. That should give you a pretty good idea of the amount of peppers we're looking at here, which honestly is a lot less than I thought. I always just assumed that Peter was completely laden down with peppers, not carrying a couple gallons worth. But I digress. Now we know the what and the how much, so let's turn to the who. And no, I still don't mean the awesome band. Who is Peter Piper? It turns out he was basically the Robin Hood of the spice world. Peter Piper was actually a French horticulturalist named Pierre Prouvaire. Pierre didn't like the fact that spices were so expensive, so he would steal from spice stores and then plant the stolen seeds in his garden in an attempt to make the spices more readily available and therefore cheaper. However, sometimes he'd steal pickled seeds that wouldn't grow. The twister is actually describing the times he picked out ungrowable seeds. So this little poem about Peter's picking achievement is really talking about his failures. In London in 1769, a book about his activities was published called Voyage d'un Philosophe, and it made its way around the world. It was quite popular, and in 1813, the poetic tongue twister was published, also in London in a work called Peter Piper's Practical Principles of Plain and Perfect Pronunciation, which was penned by a man named John Harris. So from a pepper pirate to a man who loved alliteration, this twister has been around for quite some time. Now, let's sell some shells. Okay, toppers, confession time. Y'all have probably figured out by now that I'm not the best person to be doing a language podcast. I'm constantly flubbing and mispronouncing words, and I know that must make it seem like I don't really know what I'm doing sometimes. I read a ton growing up, and I still love to read, and I've even written a novel. And I say that only because listening to me talk sometimes makes it hard to believe that I've been immersed in words for most of my life. Here's the deal. I have a stutter, which is easier to control when I'm reading, and that's why I write out these episodes. But along with that stutter comes a side effect. I say stuff wrong. It's just hard for me to figure out how words are supposed to sound sometimes, and sometimes I have to say words a bit differently just to get them out. If you ever listen to the blooper section, you've probably heard me questioning myself on how a word's supposed to sound or maybe getting tripped up on words. Now you know the main reason why this is. Alright, I've gone on long enough about this, and you're not here for my history. You're here for the etymology. However, I felt compelled to say all that because each and every time you listen to my show, you're giving me a gift. And I wanted you to know that I'm not saying stuff wrong out of laziness or because I just don't care what the correct pronunciation is. I care greatly about giving y'all the best show I can. And I wanted y'all to know why it may sometimes seem like I'm just saying whatever I want. Alright, let's hop off this weird little rabbit trail. I really started off with all this to try to explain that S and SH sounds are some of my biggest speech issues, so this twister is going to be tricky. It's going to take a few tries, but the history behind it makes it worth the effort. So here it is. 
one of the most well-known tongue twisters in the English language. She sells seashells by the seashore. The shells she sells are seashells, I'm sure. So, if she sells seashells on the seashore, then I'm sure she sells seashore shells. <laughs> okay, we made it, mostly. You get the picture. Anyway, who was selling seashells by the seashore? Mary Anning, that's who. Mary was from England, and while we stumble over the story of her seashell sales, this isn't the find that made her famous. She was born in 1799, and her father was a cabinet maker. He taught Mary how to dig up trinkets from the sand, and as she got older, she turned her hobby into a supplemental income for her family. She'd find nice shells, and more importantly, fossils, and then sell them to townsfolk and tourists. But one fossil she unearthed ended up being a discovery that shook up the scientific world. At only 12 years old, young Mary dug up an ichthyosaur skeleton. In 1811, her younger brother had found the skull, and they thought it belonged to a crocodile. Mary started to dig up the rest of the skeleton, and by the next year, she had the torso uncovered. This was the first complete ichthyosaur, and in fact, they hadn't even been named ichthyosaurs yet. Actually, at that time, people didn't even really believe dinosaurs had been a thing, and the idea of the mass extinction of an entire species was really only a theory. Mary's discovery helped bring this part of history to life. Even though she practically invented paleontology, she wasn't allowed to join the Geological Society of London, or even attend university. She found many other fossils, but she rarely got the recognition she deserved and some geologists even claimed her discoveries as their own. But not everyone in the scientific community treated Mary poorly. Some even helped to spread awareness of her accomplishments and raised money for her to have a pension. She passed away from breast cancer at the age of 47, but left quite a legacy during her short life. Although it didn't happen until 2010, the Royal Society of London the world's oldest national scientific institution, listed Mary as one of the ten women with the most influence on the history of science. As far as the tongue twister itself, it was written in 1908 by a poet named Terry Williams, who found himself inspired by all that Mary had done. So, although she was known more for finding fossils, Mary did get her start selling seashells. Mary Anning, your name should have been Mary Awesome. And with that, it's time for today's metaphorical moment. It's just a metaphor, dude. It's a metaphor. Curious metaphor. A metaphor. That's just a metaphor. Today's metaphor is tongue-tied. This is another phrase that gets its metaphorical usage from a literal use. To be literally tongue-tied means that you have a frenulum under your tongue that is extra long, too thick, or both. What's a frenulum? Well, it's the little flap of tissue that connects your tongue to the bottom of your mouth. There's one that connects your upper lip to your gum as well, called the labial frenum, located right above your two front teeth. If the frenulum under your tongue, the lingual frenum, is too long or thick, it affects your ability to speak properly, because basically your tongue is tied down a bit too tight. The official name for this is ankylosia 
but that's hard to say, so I'll stick with tongue-tied. A phrenectomy is a procedure that removes some or all of the extra tissue, which for the lingual frenium can improve speech. I actually had a phrenectomy done on my labial frenium in high school because it was too big, but I was lucky. I had it done with a laser. It felt so futuristic, and I didn't need stitches. They basically just melted it away. That really isn't pertinent to this metaphor, but it's always fascinated me that the dentist used a laser. Freaking laser beams, man! Okay, sorry. Back to being tongue-tied. No one seems to know when it went from being only literal to metaphorical, but Miguel Cervantes references it in Don Quixote, which was first published in 1605, so it had to be in use by at least that time. That's two weeks in a row for old Quixote. Now, this is from the English translation, but what was written was, quote, Don Quixote, disconcerted and in confusion at her appearance, huddled himself up and well-nigh covered himself altogether with the sheets and counterpane of the bed, tongue-tied and unable to offer her any civility. End quote. So, while this small abnormality is easily fixable with modern technology, people in old-timey times just had to live with it. Because the physical tongue-tie makes it difficult for people to talk sometimes, Folks translated this to the metaphorical trouble people sometimes have with talking. Now it's time to go to the book for today's familiar quotation. Okay, toppers, I've got the book here, and it's open to a section of George Pope Morris's works. And this is from his work, Woodman, Spare That Tree. And it says, Woodman, Spare That Tree. Touch not a single bough. In youth it sheltered me, and I'll protect it now. Hmm, that makes me think of the book The Giving Tree. <laughs> I love that book. Well, thank you, Mr. Morris, for today's familiar quotation. Alright toppers, that's going to do it for episode 45. Thank you for lending me your ears today to turn some phrases. As I always do, I hope you enjoyed the episode and that you learned something along the way. You can connect with me and fellow language lovers on Twitter and Facebook. Just look up Turn of Phrases on either site, or go to turnofphrases.com for links and more information. If you want to send me a message or topic suggestions, you can email me which is brisky at turnofphrases.com, or use my website's contact form. My website also has details about all the music I use in the show. If you had a good time listening today, please consider subscribing or leaving a rating and review. Also, if you know someone who'd enjoy the show, please tell them about it to help spread the word. Thanks again for listening to the Turn of Phrases podcast, researched, written, hosted, and produced by me, Brisky. Until next time, toppers. May you avoid an excited executioner exercising his excising powers excessively. Toodaloo. And now... This is... Let me rephrase. I could barely say it one time slow, so... Oh, did I interrupt you? Oh, oh sorry. I interrupted wifey. <laughs> okay, I'll leave now. <laughs>
Now, Guinness, the record people, no, that's not. <laughs> the sixth sick. <laughs> I already messed up. The sixth. No. <laughs> okay. It's only six words. No, it's seven words. I can't even count. Betty Botter bought some butter. But, she said, this but. No. <laughs> I messed up on the simple word. So twas better, Betty Butter. No. <laughs> Where's the peck of pickled piper? <laughs> nope. I never quite understood how Peter was picking pre-picked. Nope. So then how did Peter pick a peck of... <laughs> Why am I doing this? It's a measurement system that's based on weight, not vol... Nope. That's literally the opposite of what it is. Pete was... Mm, nope, nope, nope. Peter Piper was actually a French horticulturalist. Horticulturalist. That is a long word that I should be able to say. It's not that hard. Called Voyage de... No. <laughs> de... Which was pinned by a name... By a name? <laughs> the full version of one of the most well-known twang... <laughs> twang... This is not good. I, I'm already messing up. One of the world's most well-known... Nope. <laughs> I'm, nervous. I'm nervous to even start. Seashells... Sea <laughs> I'm going to be here all night. The shells... She <laughs> the shells... See <laughs> oh my goodness. I'm so sorry. The shells see. <laughs> oh my goodness gracious me! What have I done? The shells she sells are seashells. <laughs> I'm gonna get through this. The shells she sells are she. <laughs> oh, whatever language gods are listening, please help me get through this. So if she sells she 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 she. she. So if <laughs> I can't. Even uh, I'm over halfway done. So, no, take a deep breath. Let's keep going. So if she sells, she... <laughs> Good night almighty. So, if... No. Mm, then I'm sure... <laughs> that's not the right word. Then I'm sure she sells... <laughs> I'm almost there. Even though she practically invented paleontology. Even though she practically invented paleon... <laughs> now I can't say it. Paleo and paleontology. Paleontology. Even though she practically invented paleontology... <laughs> I'm just like putting word letters that aren't even in there. Even though she practically invented paleontology, <laughs> pale, pa pa how do you say this word? Even though she practically invented paleontology, I cannot say this word now. This is another phrase that gets its metaphorical yersage. <laughs> the official name for this is ankyloglossia. Ankyloglossia. <laughs> Why did I think I could say this? 
But Miguel Cervantes All right, toppers, that's going to do it for episode 35. This is not <laughs> This is not episode 35.